1: What is up, everybody? Welcome in to another Philly Sports Power Hour with Bill Calarulo. This is the first time we have to do this show after a tough Philadelphia sports loss. Because the Phillies have been flying high, the Eagles have been flying high, and last night, man, we come back down to earth a little bit. And we had it, and we had it. But we have a great show scheduled today. We're going to talk a little fight and fills in the first segment. And then today at 1020, Eagles insider Dave Spadaro will be joining us to talk a little bit. Philadelphia Eagles get his take on this 2023 season to date. And I see you guys in the chat. JM, that camera was sent back, man. I got it right off off the show yesterday, called them, was not happy that that camera kept cutting out. So we should be fixed today. Appreciate you. What's up, Chuck Hutton? Good morning to you as well. The Real Zeal, how are you today? Already getting in the Schwarber talk. We'll talk about it. But that was a tough one last night. And that's what I want to talk about to start today before we get into our Eagles talk in the next segment with Eagles insider Dave Spadaro. But coming into that game last night, Phillies were playing with house money. All the pressure was on that Atlanta Braves team. All the Philadelphia Phillies wanted to do in Atlanta – was split. If we, if you told me Saturday morning, hey, Phillies are going to come back to Citizens Bank Park next week and the series will be tied 1-1, I would have signed up for it. But not that way. Not that way. They had all the momentum last night. You could see it. The Atlanta Braves, they were starting to grip the bat tight. They were starting to get nervous. The fans were nervous. The team was nervous. The coaching staff was nervous. The Phillies had them on the ropes, and they gave that sleeping giant life. And I know we're going to sit here today, and we're going to question Topper's pitching decisions, leaving Wheeler in too long. Should he have gone with Hoffman? How was Bryce Harper's base running in the ninth? That is not why the Philadelphia Phillies lost this game. They lost this game because they stranded 11 runners through the first seven innings of that baseball game. That game should not even have been close. It was 4-0. We were feeling good. It should have been worse. It was like the Eagles in the red zone on Sunday. you got to capitalize. You have to capitalize and put that team away. They should not even have been in that game. Wheeler, absolutely dealing last night. Zero hits through five innings. Strikes out 10. Phillies are up 4-0. Should have been worse. Should have been worse. They never should have had a chance to come back in that baseball game. But the Philadelphia Phillies stranded way too many runners. But let's start with the positive because the beginning of that game, Phillies look great. Not only was Zach Wheeler dealing, they get to Max Fried early. He only goes four innings, gives up three runs, six hits, and their base running was great. Again, appropriately aggressive. In that first inning, Trey Turner taken second. That was huge because then Boehm's able to hit him, hit him in with a, with a single. Turner, showing his speed, showing his aggressiveness, getting the second base on that play. Castellanos in the fifth, great base running, stealing a base, then takes third on an error, and then Bryson Stott's able to drive him in with a sack fly. These were good things. JT Realmuto hitting a two-run shot in the third, making it 3-0. The Phillies were doing everything they did in game one to start that game. Good base running. Great pitching, making the right plays in the field. But then that's when things started to go south, and we knew it. And I was tweeting about it, and other people were tweeting about it. They just stranded way too many runners through four innings. Although they're winning the game, seven stranded runners in the first four innings. Eight stranded after five. Ten stranded after six. Eleven stranded after seven. You can't leave a team as good as the Atlanta Braves, who have a lineup as powerful as the Atlanta Braves. You can't keep them hanging around. You can't keep them hanging around. And I see the real zeal. They've been awful with running runners in scoring position all season. The real zeal. Your best RBI guy never had a chance to drive in any runs because he leads off and clogs the bases. Look, we've debated all season long whether or not Schwarber should be in that leadoff spot. He's been there all year. They like him there. They feel comfortable with him there. I know there's arguments that can be made to have him not batting leadoff, but they like him. It's what's worked in the past, so I'm not going to second-guess him now in the playoffs about keeping Schwarber in that leadoff spot. They're not going to make the change. They're not going to move him out of there. Steven Patton, even though we're coming home for games three and four, I still don't feel good about it. The momentum has shifted. I would have rather lost 10-2 last night than the way we did. I don't disagree with you that the way they lost hurts. It hurts a lot more than a blowout. It hurts a lot more than a blowout. But don't lose faith, and I'm going to talk about that shortly, but remember what happened in that San Diego Padres series last year. Almost identical. And the real zeal is still going on Schwarber in the leadoff spot. It doesn't work in the postseason. They won't make the change, and they won't win a World Series with him there. Well. I hope you're wrong on them not winning the World Series, but I agree, they are not going to make that change. Schwarber will lead off this entire playoffs. But yesterday's show, I talked about how this Philadelphia Phillies team not only was being appropriately aggressive on the base pass, but they were being so good in the field. And Trey Turner in game one makes the best fielding play I have seen in Phillies postseason history. And then he comes back in game two, and completely does a 180. Two errors for Trey Turner last night. First one in the second inning, Zach Wheeler said, don't worry, kid, I got you. Strikes out one, two, three to strike out the side right after that error. That could have been big. But Zach Wheeler said, I'm going to pick you up. But then he has another one in the sixth inning that is just inexcusable that results in a run. At that point, it was four nothing Fills. The relay throw comes in, I think it was Castellanos from right field, and Turner just drops the relay throw, allowing a run to score. That was unexcusable. That's unexcusable for a guy like Trey Turner, who's as good of a fielder as he is. It felt to me like it was a lazy play. And there's the real zeal taking the words out of my mouth. Turner is the laziest fielder I've ever seen. He backhands everything. I'm not going to say he's always lazy, but yes, that was a lazy error, an inexcusable error at that moment in the game to make that a 4-1 game. And Patton, we're going to get there about Harper's base running. But this is where I questioned Topper, and I even tweeted it. I'm not going to question Topper because in Topper we trust after game one But this was a big decision. I did not think there was a chance Zach Wheeler was coming out of the dugout to pitch in that seventh inning. I actually, in my notes here, was starting to put down Wheeler's stats for today's show, and I have him six innings before he comes out in the seventh. I thought there was no way they're bringing him back out in the seventh. Well, they bring him out in the seventh. Okay, I'm all right with the decision. You want to give him another batter. But then he gets hit hard by Olsen, really hard on that single. So I thought, okay, they're going to take him out now. Well, they keep him in again. He does throw a real nice pitch to strike out Ozuna. But then Arnold takes him yard on a two-run shot. And the problem I have there is not only are you leaving in Wheeler a little bit too long, Look at who he's going up against there, De Arnault. That guy caught for Wheeler for eight seasons. His batting average against Zach Wheeler coming into last night, I think was around 390. So you already have Wheeler starting to get tired. Gives up a big hard hit to Olsen to to lead off the seventh. Why are you having him pitch against De Arnault, who's had a lot of success against him throughout his career? And then Darren goes with a two-run shot, making it a four-three ball game. Then Topper makes the change, brings in Alvarado. He shuts it down. And then here's where the other questionable decision happens. Eighth inning, he brings Alvarado out for one batter. Alvarado gets the out, and then they bring in Hoffman. Hoffman hasn't pitched in a lot of big moments. He didn't know how he was going to handle the big moment. Well, he starts it off by hitting Acuna, and then Riley takes some yard, two-run shot to take the lead. Devastating. Absolutely devastating. And then you go to that ninth inning. Harper gets on base. I'm not faulting Harper as much as others are, and maybe it's because I love Bryce Harper. Maybe I'm defending Bryce Harper, but I still don't think that is the reason they lost this game. Yes, should he have stopped? Before the base at second, yeah. Yeah. Topper said it yesterday, too, after the game. Normally on a play like that, the runner stops in front of the bag on second so he can get back to first base. But he's being aggressive there. Off the bat, it looks like that is in the gap. It looks like there is no chance for the center fielder to make that play. But Michael Harris Jr. made an unbelievable play there. What? a damn catch by Harris, but I'm not going to fault Bryce Harper. I know he should have stopped, but he's trying to tie up the game. And it's not as if, if he doesn't get doubled up, that they win this game. Okay. You have two outs with a man on first. You're still not in any better position. So, oh, I shouldn't say you're not in any better position. You're in a better position than the game being over. That's for sure. But I'm not faulting Harper. That's not why they lost this game. They lost this game because they stranded eleven damn runners through seven innings, didn't put the nail in the coffin. But it's not over. It's not over. And Chuck Hutton, that's exactly what I said too, man. There's no guarantee that stock comes through if Bryce and, if, if Bryce doesn't get doubled off. But he shouldn't have got doubled off. But I'm not going to second guess. Aggressiveness in that spot. He's trying to score the tying run. And Castellanos off the bat, I'm thinking that is either gone or in the gap. But Michael Harris, you got to give him credit. You got to give him credit. But I know everybody's talking about, hey, all the momentum shifted now. Atlanta's got all the momentum coming back to the bank. Well, let's take a look at last year what happened against the San Diego Padres, because it was almost exactly. What happened in the first two games in Atlanta? Phillies win game one in San Diego. They come back in game two with Aaron Nola on the mound, and they take a four-run lead just like they did last night. Just like they did last night. And then what happened? San Diego comes back and wins that game. 1-1, coming back to the bank. Everybody's nervous. Do the Padres have the momentum now? And the Phillies win two straight to take the series. Let's hope that happens again. And they interviewed Nick Castellanos right after the game. And I loved what he said. This team plays the best after we get punched in the face. This has been a resilient team. And the real zeal in the comments they have been a resilient team all season. Yes, they have. And in Topper, we trust. Yeah, maybe he didn't make all the right decisions in the game last night, but he has his fingers on the pulse of this team. He knows how to manage this team. And to keep them playing. And you know Citizens Bank Park is going to be rocking tomorrow night. So I would have felt worse if this was a game one loss. And then the Phillies had to come right back and play in Atlanta again with that momentum shifting to Atlanta. But we are coming back to Philly. That place is going to be rocking. I'm not as concerned about the momentum. I do wish they would have held on to that game, obviously. That would have been the nail in the coffin, 2-0, coming back to Philadelphia. But this series is not over. And I don't like all the chatter on Twitter that, oh, they're never going to win this series now. They're in the same spot they were last year against the San Diego Padres. This is going to be just fine. And it's time for Aaron Nola again. Aaron Nola pitched really well in that wild card. And we talked about it on this show last week before his game. Did we have confidence that Aaron Nola was going to pitch as well as he did? And he showed up in a big way. He needs to show up in a big way again tomorrow night. The pitching's going to have to be strong. We don't know who's going for the Atlanta Braves. But what I do know is that Citizens Bank Park is going to be loud. And it's going to be a tough environment for that Braves team. And what I think they need to do is the Phillies need to come out to an early lead. They cannot give this Atlanta Braves team any more momentum than they're going to have coming in after that tough loss last night. But, guys, in the chat, what do you think the reason was that the Phillies lost last night? Do you agree with me that it wasn't the pitching decisions, that it wasn't Bryce Harper's base running in the ninth? It was stranding 11 runners through the first seven innings. That is why they lost this game. What do you guys think in the chat? Why did they lose this game? Why? And Peter Doherty, you are right. It would have been huge to go up 2-0. Series probably would have been as close to over as it could be, coming back to Citizens Bank Park with the Braves down 2-0. But they're not down 2-0. They're 1-1. And if we would have all signed up for that on Saturday. If Saturday morning we were told, that this Phillies team was going to come back to the bank 1-1 against the Atlanta Braves, we would have taken it. We just didn't like the way the game ended last night, and I agree. But this team has been resilient. They have been resilient, and they need to be resilient again. But let's hope that what we saw from Trey Turner in the field last night is not going to carry over to Citizens Bank Park for the rest of this series because you cannot afford to make two errors in the field On two real routine plays, the first one is a ground ball. He just missed it. But the second one, that one is just inexcusable. Lazy error. Dropping the relay throw coming in from right field, allowing to run the score. But I see you guys in the chat. B-Sing Sports agrees with me. Too many runners left on. The real zeal, runners in scoring position. Seven runs in two games in Atlanta isn't a isn't aging to win many games. I think you meant isn't going to win many games. Chuck Hutton didn't step on the throats of the Braves. The Braves were resembling the baseball version of the Boston Bruins. So Phillies need to make sure when they get their opportunities that they do put the nail on the call, that they do step on the throat of this Atlanta Braves team, because this Atlanta Braves lineup is really damn good. We've seen it. They have the ability to score runs. They have the ability to hit home runs. So this Philadelphia Phillies team, our offense needs to come through because our pitching staff is not going to shut out the Atlanta Braves every single game. What we saw in game one was not the norm. The Braves had only been shut out twice all season. They hadn't been shut out at home since 2021. So the offense has to win. Yes, pitching needs to be good, but we are built to score runs. And you need to score runs when you have runners in scoring position and runners on base. So, guys, we'll talk again about the Phillies tomorrow. We'll break down the Game 3 matchup but I'm excited to switch gears here now because a team that is not losing and has not lost this season is our Philadelphia Eagles. And coming up after the break, we're going to bring on the Eagles insider, Dave Spadaro, and get his take on this 2023 Philadelphia Eagles team. Stay tuned, guys.
0: Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes
2: field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia Bank.
1: Staffing is not easy, but that's what we do every day, all day. The key to our success is storytelling, asking the right questions to find the right people. Hi, I'm Gary Kane, president of Kane Partners. We want to be your staffing partner.
2: Since 1977, it's always been about you, the community, at Rafferty Subaru. And through the Subaru Love Promise, we prove we care by supporting charities like So Good Now.
0: Now
3: helps kids in under resourced areas by connecting them with student athletes to serve as mentors. We remove barriers so athletes can help youth in the corners of our communities where light and love are needed most. When you choose Rafferty Subaru, you help organizations like So Good
0: Now.
1: What is up everybody? Welcome back to the Philly Sports Power Hour. It is a huge honor to have with us now on the show Eagles insider Dave Spadaro. What's up Dave? How you doing brother?
3: Bill I'm great. It's my honor to be here. Thank you so much and uh, I'm not worried about let me just before we talk Eagles. I'm not worried about the Phillies at all. I mean that was the whole point of it to go to Atlanta win one game and come back to Philly. So everybody needs to just chill out. Tough loss last night for sure but this is a very, this is a really, really good Phillies team. I mean, I, I feel supremely confident.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And you know that Citizens Bank Park, these Philadelphia Phillies fans, they're going to be loud on Wednesday night. So, yes, I am okay with it. But yeah. thanks for coming to, to us, Dave. And congratulations are or in order on your uh, recent nuptials, my friend. Yeah,
3: still married. Uh, you only get married twice. So, um, uh, <laughs> it was awesome, though. I mean, um, 23 years, of the first marriage, great marriage, still. Love my ex. Um, But this one, 50-yard line at Lincoln Financial Field, was outstanding.
1: Yeah, I saw some pictures. It looked pretty cool. It was cool, yeah. looked pretty cool. Well, Dave, you are probably one of the closest people to this Philadelphia Eagles team. And so far through five weeks of the season, what have you learned about this 2023 Eagles team?
3: Well, I like to think that I'm the closest because I'm part of the team. So (laughs) um, a couple things. Uh, One, that last year – when the Eagles said that all through the offseason last year, truly was last year. And while the fans kept, have been kind of like, hey, this part of the team isn't what it was last year. And it's that the Eagles really focused on 2023. And so I think that's really important to note, Bill, because there is a hangover effect in a lot of cases when you go deep into the playoffs. And in the case of the Eagles, go to the Super Bowl and lose such a very tough game that you don't carry that over to the next season. So really big kudos to Nick Sirianni, the way he approached the offseason and the way these players separated last year and this year, number one. Number two, Jalen Hurts has gotten better and better and better each week, and I think that's really important too. I mean, clearly the game he had on Sunday in Los Angeles, had I think to me was the best game he had all season, The week before against Washington, I thought he played really well. That was a better game uh, than the week before that against Tampa Bay. So glad to see that Jalen is getting better and better. Um, Glad to see that the Eagles have replaced Miles Sanders, who really had a a Pro Bowl season last year, with DeAndre Swift. uh, uh, Running back by committee here, the Eagles haven't fallen off there. Um, Glad that the right guard position – Has been adequately filled with Cam Jurgens, and you see depth in the offensive line with Sua Opeta. Glad that the Eagles are still a multi-pronged offense that can beat you in a lot of different ways, and so glad that Dallas Goddard got into it on Sunday against the Rams. Defensively, you know um, the front seven when you lose what the Eagles lost in T.J. Edwards and uh, Kaiser White and Javon Hargrave, that you can bring in somebody like Jalen Carter, and he makes an immediate Unbelievable impact. I mean, what a talent that kid is that you can bring in Nicholas Morrow and Zach Cunningham and get productive play there. So, really thrilled with the way the defense has replaced key pieces up front. And then, in in terms of Sean Desai, really impressed with what he did on Sunday in terms of adjusting at halftime and shutting down a really potent Los Angeles Rams offense in the final two quarters. So, the Eagles have won games in a lot of different manners here through 2023, the first five games. Um, standing undefeated, going to New York, feeling really confident. And I I really, really like the makeup of this football team.
1: You said a lot of great things there, Dave. And I want to go back to the first thing you were talking about, which is Jalen Hurts improving week after week. And we saw he only threw 170 yards against the Patriots, but follows that up with 193 against Minnesota, then 277 against the Bucs, 319 against Washington, and then has another 300-yard game on Sunday against the Rams. But one area that a lot of people were questioning was his ability to run the football this season. And you also saw him running the football more in that Los Angeles Rams game. Do you think that he's lost a step, as some people had indicated? I don't think he has. Or was he just being more conservative and protecting himself those first four weeks of the season?
3: I don't think either of those. I think that defenses are spying him. And I think defenses come into... Their matchup against the Eagles, and the first thing what they want to do is take away Jalen's ability to break down the defense with his legs. And we've seen in the past and I, the the games that really stick out to me, bill, are I remember um I guess it was his first year, right? Um, the Saints came in number one ranked run defense in the league and he broke them down with his legs and ended up having a huge game throwing the ball, a huge game running the ball. you know the Green Bay Packers, the Baltimore Ravens I mean games where he's played and, and run the football effectively. So this year he comes in and if I'm a defense, what am I going to take away? Well, I have to have cornerbacks to take away Devontae and, and AJ. I have to have safeties, linebackers to take away Dallas Goddard, but I can scheme to take away the run of Jalen Hurts. And the opportunities just weren't there. Okay. I still think in the red zone, for example, we have not really seen the quarterback draw because I believe in the red zone defenses. That is what they they are taking that away. They do not want Jalen Hurts running the football in the red zone. So I thought that on Sunday against the Rams, he made something out of nothing on a couple of occasions, including that third down run where he broke the tackle and gained 17 yards. That was vintage Jalen Hurts. So I don't think he's lost a step. I don't think he's more reluctant to run. I think that defenses are coming in. And saying, we are not going to allow Jalen Hurts to beat us with his legs. And so the way the Eagles have won is to run the football with Swift, with Gainwell, throw the football to Brown, to Smith, now to Goddard. And that's how they've won five games. And so eventually there will be opportunities for him to run the football. But the mark of a great quarterback is to win in a lot of different ways, including from the pocket and including when times Ah, uh, those games when it's really not going your way, finding ways to win games, and Jalen's done that.
1: Yeah, you talk about finding ways to win. This Philadelphia Eagles team, five and zero, oh, they've won pretty much a different way all five games, which is really a good sign for a good team who's trying to contend for a championship.
3: Yeah, and I don't think that. I mean, look, we all keep saying that we twenty there, the leaving points on the on the field. I think they would agree with that that the red zone efficiency hasn't been where it had been in the previous two seasons. I mean, Eagles were among the best teams in the league, top three in the league in the red zone, and now they're down in the 20s. So that will get better, but they have won different ways. Um, I think that is, the, again, the mark of a, a complementary football team. Um, glad to see that special teams, which nobody's talking about right now, and that's a good thing because the Eagles haven't really gotten the return game going in past years. Now Britton Covey is a weapon. Jake elliott it's been terrific. Um, you know, so the coverage has been pretty strong, right? So I, I like the, the defense has taken the football away um, in every game except this last game. So I I just think that this is a team that knows how to win. You know, the remarkable thing about it, Bill, is that whether you rate Jalen Hurts on his running and passing, I mean, what's the guy, 22-1 and one in his last 23 regular season games? I mean, that is – Amazing. And so at the end of the day, he's a winner and that's all that matters.
1: You you mentioned 22 and one in his last 23 starts, regular season starts. And do you think we're getting spoiled at Eagles as Eagles fans a little bit? Because we are really watching. And I said this on the show last week that we need to start enjoying the ride more because what we are watching is unprecedented in Eagles history with how often this team is winning, and it's almost like we're a college team now where we care about how much they win by as opposed to just getting the W.
3: Well, I mean, I would hope, Bill, that people are enjoying it. I mean, I'm not as tuned into the kvetching that Eagles fans are, are having. I mean, some of it for sure, but I remember back to the Andy Reid days. I mean, I don't know where you were during the Andy Reid days, Bill, but, like, that team went to four straight NFC Championship games and the fact is, it wasn't enough because the Eagles never won a Super Bowl. And there were times when the Eagles just didn't look that impressive during the regular season, and fans would complain about the team. Look, I guarantee you, when when the Eagles get to late December, and hopefully we're still playing, and we're you know going into January, like playing great football, still playing great football, going into January, still alive in the playoffs, hopefully going to February, you're not going to remember the score of you know, week week four against the Washington Commanders. All that matters right now is winning games, trying to stay healthy, getting better as you go, and then playing your best football in late December, January, February. I know everybody's kind of going – I've had so many people, Bill, telling me, oh, my gosh, the 49ers, I'm I'm worried about – well, don't worry in October about the 49ers. Like, appreciate how good they are because they're really, really good right now. But by the time the Eagles play them in December – And then potentially late in the playoff situation, who knows what the teams are going to look like. So all you want to do right now is win football games, get better. And I think the Eagles have, have done that on both sides of the ball and on special teams.
1: One thing you mentioned was red zone. And this offense has improved every single week in other areas. But they've continued to struggle a little bit in the red zone. Coming into that game, they were 24th in the league. And they were going up against a Rams defense that hasn't been good in the red zone. The the Rams were 26 in the league on red zone defense and the Philadelphia Eagles struggled again in the red zone on Sunday. What do you think the problem is in the red zone right now?
3: Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure I really have an educated answer, but I, I have some observations. Um, you can't take negative plays in the red zone. You can't have penalties in the red zone. You can't miss opportunities to catch football in the red zone. Um, you have to run the football in the red zone. And I think in the past, the Eagles have really run the football well in the red zone, maybe not quite as successfully right now. Um, You got to stay ahead of the sticks. They're not doing that as much as consistently. I guess it comes down to just, they haven't been as consistent as they have in previous seasons. It is absolutely something they are aware of and that they are really working to improve on. Um, So I look for that to be bill the next, phase of improvement for this football team as we have seen we're worried about the Jalen's running boom we're worried about the passing game gotten better we're worried about the 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 pass defense gotten better we're worried about this that we're worried about the red zone offense now that has to get better and by the way the red zone defense has to get better as well those are things that I do think through the course of the season will improve and you
1: mentioned Nick Sirianni at the beginning of the show and The culture he's built, that growth mindset, it does seem to really resonate with this team. And like you said, they keep improving every area as the week progresses. And that's what you want. You want a team to keep working towards playing your best football when it really matters in January and February. Hopefully. Yeah,
3: and I think, Bill, I remember his rookie season, you know, when the Eagles struggled um, and we wondered about, but not we, but people talking about the fan base wondered about Nick and fair. Uh, And Nick stuck with it. Eagles turn it around. I mean, I I could see I've been around since the geez, man, the buddy Ryan days. And um, you can see how a coach connects how the, the kind of the big picture plan that he has. And I think that's all developed very nicely for Nick. He's he's just he's a great coach, and the Eagles have a team that plays for each other. He keeps it interesting and fun for the players every single day. They knock on wood here. They don't have those games. Even during the really good Andy Reid years, there were a couple of games every year where it was like clunkers. You know, the Indianapolis Colts come into uh, Veterans Stadium. Like, I, I guess it was Lincoln Financial. Uh, maybe it had been Veterans Stadium and win games. Um, uh, Cincinnati Bengals, you know, win games. Like this team plays good football every single week. I think a lot of that has to do with being excellent on the offensive line, excellent on the defensive line. But what you get every week from a Nick Sirianni team is a team that's focused, that plays really hard, that plays for each other, and that generally is in every single ballgame. And so I think that's a sign of a coach who really understands how to bring out the best in his players and how to prepare the football team each week. And it sounds like you should have that every week with – your team but that's not the way it is in the league you you see it every single week teams are up and down and up and down the eagles have been really good and up virtually every week in the nick Sirianni era he's definitely
1: built a great culture here and what i love about Sirianni the most is he's genuine he's not pretending to be somebody he's not and i know a lot of fans at that first press conference were questioning Sirianni. and when i left his first press conference i thought to myself He's going to be loved here if he wins because this is who he is. He's just a genuine guy, and you see how much he connects with fans. He's high fiving fans in the stands uh, over here in Haddon Township, New Jersey. He's handing out shots in the off at a local bar. I mean, he's just uh, <laughs> he enjoys like it too. Us. I mean,
3: and, and that, Bill, that's what, like he enjoys being the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. And when you're when you have a coach who's got a loose yet disciplined and high expectation attitude, and ex, you know that's the day the daily. Mantra is, you know, come in and prepare and be great that day, but let's have fun doing it. And I think Nick exudes that kind of energy, different kind of energy than Andy, different kind of energy than Doug, different than Chip Kelly, different than, you know, Ray Rhodes, different than Buddy Ryan, et cetera. And you're right. He is very genuine and appreciative of the job. And, and I think the players feel that. Yeah, it's
1: been fun to watch and l- keeping with the coaching staff. Let's talk about Sean Desai for a second, because I felt Sunday was by far his best defensive coordinating we have seen in the young season so far. That Rams offense was a good offense coming in. Number four in total yards per game, number two in passing yards per game, and they were in the top ten on third down. And you look at the first half, the Eagles let the Rams convert five of seven on third down. And I'm thinking, okay, more of the same. They come out in that second half and they hold the Rams to one for seven on third down conversions, getting off the field. What did you see, Sean Desai, or was it adjustments made at halftime where the players just playing harder? What did they do in that second half to really shut down that Rams offense?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think a little bit it was adjustments that moving in that first half. If you remember, they had Eli Ricks and. You know, uh, uh, Roby and Goodrich and Slay working out of the out of the nickel spot. And it was just guys everywhere and just rotating. Guys. I think they kind of, as Slay said, after they kind of went back to basics after the first half and kept it simple. They tackled very well. They got pressure up front, which helped a lot. They had coverage in the back end. They were sticky. That was that was good. They, they put the Rams into some long situations, third and long situations that helped. I also think that the Eagles offense controlled the football, controlled the clock, held possession for long periods of time. You know, coming out, though, for the start of the second half to get that stop after the A.J. Brown-led late first-half drive that put the Eagles back in front 17-14, it allowed the Eagles to, con- you know, to continue that momentum generated by that late drive. And so I think the NFL's all about momentum. The Eagles then – went on a long drive offensively. I mean they they were able to keep the Rams defense back. And and look, up front, you know, we've seen Hassan Reddick get loose here the last couple of weeks with three sacks. Jalen Carter has been just terrific and outstanding in the middle. And so when you pressure up front, the Eagles also had some opportunities to take the football away that just didn't quite happen. So um they just played really good football. They they they're they're getting better defensively Sean has made good adjustments. Um, he's Look, it's an NFL, it's an offensive league. The Vikings had some big yards. Washington had some big yards. Credit to Sam Howe. I felt for escaping three or four sacks and kept some drives alive, some penalties, kept some drives alive a couple of weeks ago. The Eagles played a sound. They got hurt a couple of times with penalties. But otherwise, that defense in the second half was the best it had been all season. And let's keep it going um, against the Jets. And then the schedule gets a lot harder. And, We all see some really great quarterbacks down the line. But as long as the Eagles are sound in their technique, sound in their assignments, getting pressure up front, this defense is going to be fine. And you mentioned Hassan
1: Reddick having three sacks in the last two games. Any coincidence that these three sacks come right after he gets the cast off?
3: It is it and you know he spoke. I remember Bill in the locker room when he got the cast off that Thursday and practiced without it. He said how much freer he felt, how much looser he felt. Boom, he goes out and gets a sack against Washington, uh, has a bunch of pressures, are buzzing around the quarterback. And then on Sunday, closes out the game with two sacks against the Rams. It is not a coincidence at all. It very much had to do with getting the cast off, being able to use his hands. You want to be able to grab jerseys and pull away from you know, your blockers, Get get use leverage and use your hands more. He just wasn't able to use his hands as much trying to separate from blockers. We've seen him now, just like last year, first two games last year, no sacks. Goes to Washington, gets things going. You look up at the end of the season, he's got 16 sacks. Let's hope Hassan keeps it rolling. What a weapon off the edge with what the Eagles have been able to do inside. Getting Reddick and Josh Sweat and Brandon Graham on the edge going will make this a really, really dynamic front.
1: And a lot of people were hopeful that Nolan Smith was – Baby Redick. They thought that he was very similar to Hassan Reddick coming out of college. What have you seen from Nolan Smith? Do you expect him to get more playing time as the year progresses?
3: I mean, that's the hard part. I mean, what have I seen from, from, Jay, from Nolan Smith is that he's only played a handful of reps each game, so it's really hard to get into any kind of rhythm. I, I mean, I see somebody who's really hungry, who plays fast, who plays hard, but he's in, then he's out. I think he's played well on special teams. Great effort, great speed. Will he get more time going forward? Not, a, you know, again, let's hope everybody stays healthy. And I think it's going to be hard to work him into the mix. Maybe a couple of packages here and there, but who are you taking off the field? You're not taking Redick off the field when he's rolling like that. Can you play both Redick and Nolan? I mean, maybe that's something the Eagles look at down the line as he learns the defense, as he learns the NFL. It's a new world up here for defensive players And that's kind of what makes what Jalen Carter is doing so special. Seen a lot of defensive linemen come in and struggle through the first year or two. Jalen's coming in and dominating. So I think Nolan will get there. Um, I feel really good about him. Whether that happens this year, whether he gets more reps, I just can't say.
1: What a luxury. The Philadelphia Eagles lose Javon Hargrave and then they're able to replace him with rookie Jalen Carter. And before that Rams game, Carter really hadn't played more than 50% of the snaps in any game. But with Fletcher Cox going down, Carter played 70% of the snaps in that Rams game. And how impressed have you been through five weeks with this rookie?
3: I mean, honestly, Bill, like when you when the Eagles drafted him and then, you know, watching with some of the scouts, some of his game tape from Georgia, he's just so talented. He's just a special talent. The question was not if he could make it, but how long it would take him to make an impact. And clearly, it hasn't taken him long at all to make an impact. He is enormously talented, fast, strong, great technique, really compact in his technique, really efficient in his technique, um, football smart. He, he stays, he knows his role. He doesn't try to be a hero, he stays in his lane literally. He knows he's getting double-teamed now. He's patient when he has to be. Look, Fletcher Cox was kind of like that back in his day, in, in his early days, his rookie days. You could see that he was going to be a special player. Fletcher turns out to be a an all-decades player in the NFL and potentially, we think, an, a, a pro football Hall of Famer. I think Jalen Carter is such a talented player, making such an impact, um, and you just hope it keeps getting better and better and better. Um, that we someday we'll look and go, hey, this guy's in the Fletcher Cox category. Right now, the Eagles, look, to me, when you lose Hargrave, you get improvement from Milton Williams. You get improvement from Jordan Davis. You get impact from uh, Jalen Carter. Fletcher is playing really good football in that rotation. You know, uh, Kentavis Street plays a little bit here and there, makes an impact. Uh, Marlon Tuipilotu has made some plays in his limited time. So the, the depth of defensive tackle. I mean, the Eagles were down Cox and Tui Pelotu. That's two of your top you know, five defensive tackles, and yet the Eagles didn't have a drop-off on Sunday against the Rams. So that speaks to the depth this team has there.
1: Howie Roseman loves to build this team along the offensive and defensive lines, and we are seeing it with our eyes how good the depth is. You mentioned Sua Opeta stepped in. Didn't miss a beat on that offensive line. Fletcher Cox is out. Marlon is out. Defensive line doesn't miss a beat. I'm seeing in the chat here, people are asking, and I don't know if you know what's going on with this, Dave, but Albert O, the tight end they brought over from the Denver Broncos, we haven't seen him play at all. Do you think he's going to get any playing time? Our tight ends are so good. And I, I don't think Jack Stoll gets enough credit for how good of a run blocker he has been this season.
3: Yeah, and I appreciate the fans' questions. And Albert, is the... Um, Mystery man, Um, along the lines. You know we've seen it before. I mean, you know Jackson was the same way. Um, Tyreek Jackson was the same way with the big body, the athletic player. We're really pining to see him on the field. But again, with with you know what the Eagles have with Goddard and Stoll and Calcaterra, I I I don't expect Albert O to make any sort of impact uh, unless he's forced to play. With regards to Jack Stoll. You know, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago about becoming a more rounded, all-around tight end. He had a catch the other day. I mean, I know fans really don't notice him or consider him as a receiver, but he has gotten better as a receiver. The Eagles do play a lot of 12 personnel, so he's been instrumental as a blocker, like you said, Bill, in the run game. He's done a very good job there. And Jack Soul, an undrafted player, who's all of a sudden been here three years, and he's playing a lot of reps in the offense. And as, as an unsung player, Deserve some credit for the success the Eagles have had on offense. But um, as far as Alberto goes, uh, you know, he's he's a, a talented kid. Um, but I haven't seen I, – I, what I see, you know, in practice is very, very limited. Scout team guy. I would kind of hope that we don't see him. Honestly, that would mean that all three tight ends in front of him stay healthy.
1: And I'm going to have to ask you your opinion on this. I hate even talking about this because I think it's so overblown – Mainly because oh wait let me p- guess
3: the brotherly shove
1: <laughs> You nailed it you yeah. nailed it so what is your thoughts about this brotherly shove the tush push really just a quarterback sneak that years yep. all this media talk about it needs to be yep. banned
3: so la- so the eagles super bowl's over the next step is going to the combine and i remember in indianapolis standing in front of mike mcdaniel the head coach of the miami dolphins and somebody asked him about the back then it wasn't called the brotherly shove; it was called the tush push. And Mike McDaniel is a very quirky guy. Really, really enjoy him. Very smart guy. And he was kind of like, um, okay, uh, media. Like, so, is anything illegal about this play? No. Um, do you not like the way it looks? Like, what is your issue with this play? Is it not aesthetically pleasing to you? And Mike was like, you know, like, fake slam the gavel. He goes. I have no problem with it. And then in the spring, after that, the NFL's competition committee at the annual meeting, along with the owners, you know, GM's coaches, they have an opportunity to discuss the play and should they vote on the play and should the play be outlawed, should the play be banned? And I don't even think it came up for a vote. And so the league had an opportunity then to address the play, to um, eliminate the play the league decided not to. There's nothing illegal about the play. So, the Eagles just happened to run it really well. I uh, I remember against what a couple weeks ago Washington, uh Eagles run it, it's a big story then. I happened to come back to my office after the game. I watched the Chargers play the Raiders, I think, and the Chargers got stopped late in the game on the touch push. Then the Giants try it and get two guys hurt. Um I think last night the Raiders may have run it or I'm not sure if it was the Raiders or the, Packers, the Packers ran it successfully. Like Hey, go ahead and run it. The Eagles just run it really well. The offensive line gets down low. They get great push. Jalen has strong legs. Jalen doesn't get hit hard. There there are players who are pushing him in the back. But I think a lot of times he makes it on his own. So I don't get the – this. This I thought this was the big story last year. I don't know why it's still being a, a topic of conversation other than are teams jealous? Um, do defensive teams hate it? Uh, defensive players hate it? I spoke to Ike Reese, and he was all – I don't like it because I'm in a, I shouldn't be around because I'm a defensive player and you can't stop it. Well, teams are stopping it. It's just that the Eagles run it better than other teams. So I don't, the Eagles are going to continue to run it. And if the league wants to address it at the annual meeting in the spring in Florida, they can do it. But until then, it is a legal play. And if you don't like it, then learn to run it as well as the Philadelphia Eagles are running it.
1: Couldn't agree with you more, Dave. And In the chat here, we have Wheel of Sports on 88 saying, if the NFL bans it, he's canceling all of his NFL subscriptions. (laughs) Well, um, I mean, the NFL is
3: not going to ban it unless the competition committee votes, and that's a vote of uh, coaches and general managers and owners um, to ban it. Otherwise, it's a legal play. It's not a point of emphasis uh, in in any respect other than the way they're lining up. Uh, And we saw Landon Dickerson get called for that. In neutral zone infraction which was really interesting um but it's a legal play just as if a runner has the football and, and the players are pushing him that's the, a running back has it that's the same thing so you just can't pull but you can push and the eagles are going to continue to use it i think they were four of five on the on the play on sunday and it's like 49 out of 54 chances or whatever it is over the last few years here keep it in it's a it's a dynamite play on short yardage.
1: It really is.
3: And I would love to win the Super Bowl. I would love to win the Super Bowl with 130 million people watching. And last play of the game, goal line play, Jalen Hurts gets into the end zone on the the brotherly shove. Oh, wouldn't that be sweet? That would be sweet. I would would
1: sign up for that. And you saw it on (laughs) Sunday. End of the half, only two seconds left. Ball at the one-yard line. That's the final play of the half. There, no question about it. We're not kicking a field goal. We're going. I mean, I
3: I, I can't imagine anybody would thought, okay, let's let's play it safe here and kick a field goal. No way. If the Rams had stopped the Eagles, there, all kudos to them. But to me, there was there was no other play than to go for it and to call that play, and of course, it was successful.
1: And we were talking about Nick Sirianni to start about the culture he's built, the growth mindset. I also love his aggressiveness. I actually did a video on my Instagram before the show today just talking about how some coaches in that situation, 32 seconds left, your own 25-yard line, down 14-10, may have said, let's be conservative and get to the locker room. They stay aggressive, and they put up seven points before the half. That was a huge momentum swing.
3: Yeah, and same with the – I guess it was the – was it the Vikings game? The 60 – or no, that was the – um uh, whatever it was. I, I think it was the Vikings game when Jake had the 61 yard field goal, right? Um, So yeah, aggressive, different kind of play though. Eagles ran the football late in that first half then. And as a kind of an example of how much improved the passing game has become, Eagles make big plays in the passing game on Sunday. So I love the versatility. I agree with you. I love the aggressiveness of Nick. He's been that way since day one, shows a lot of confidence in his players. And, um, this is a at, you know, when you're when you're on defense going against the Philadelphia Eagles, you have to prepare to play against a four down mentality. That's kind of what the Eagles are.
1: Before I let you run, Dave, I need to talk a little bit about this upcoming Sunday against the New York Jets. I know a lot of fans are confident that the Philadelphia Eagles are going to move to six and zero, But what do you think concerns you about that Jets team? And I don't know if you'd give predictions, but what your prediction would be for Sunday?
3: Well, my, I don't do predictions per se, but I mean, I predict the Eagles will win. Surprise, surprise. Um, look, I think the Jets have a terrific defense. Really excited to see the matchup of their cornerbacks and A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. I think that's terrific. I think their front is excellent. I think they run the football really well. Breeze Hall's outstanding football player. I mean, the the Jets lost their right tackle, Vera Tucker. Uh, that is a big, big loss for them. So I give the Eagles defensive front and advantage against the Jets. So I don't know what the game plan is. Look, it's been run one week, throw the next week. Um, Where do you attack an outstanding Jets defense? Uh, That's what they're doing right now. That's what they're trying to put together right now. And I feel like, you know, Sauce Gardner and A.J. Brown, Sauce Gardner and Devontae Smith. I mean, that is is price of admission matchups. I I think the weather might be a little tricky with – cold and rainy potentially so we'll see how that plays out but man i i think the jets i think the eagles are a better football team i think the jets had an emotional win on sunday against denver so we'll see how they come back against the eagles um but to me don't go into this game any bit overconfident don't go into this game thinking it's going to be a cakewalk the schedule coming up after that is really really hard we know it so you want to bank every single win that you can Go in there, play confident football, play physical Eagles football. Don't turn the ball over. And Philadelphia should come out with a, with a win and, and get to 6-0, and which would put this team in great, great shape in the NFC East.
1: Awesome stuff, Dave. I can't thank you enough. Hopefully we'll have you on the show again soon. My and pleasure. Go Birds, my man. I'll go Birds,
3: to you Bill. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And let's get a win on Sunday. And Thanks to all the Eagles fans because your support is so appreciated. What has happened every week when we're on the road – is incredible. When we're at Lincoln financial field, there's no greater home field advantage. So it's, it's a village and we're all in it together and uh, everybody just enjoy the ride. It's going to be a great one.
1: Awesome. Thanks brother. Thank you. All right, guys, that was Dave Spadaro, our Eagles insider, some really good stuff from Dave. want to close out the show, give you guys a reminder. I host another show called the legal hands to the face show which usually airs on Monday nights at 6.30. Because of the Phillies last night, we're going live tonight at 6.30. We have special guest Todd Herrimans, former Philadelphia Eagles offensive lineman. We'll get his take on the tush push and what he thinks. So be sure to tune in right here on the Jacob Sports Network tonight at 6.30 for the Legal Hands of the Face show, guest Todd Herrimans. And then like we do every week, we'll have Dr. Chris Radcliffe breaking down some of these Eagles injuries. What can we expect from Sidney Brown? When is he coming back? So we'll talk to to Dr. Radcliffe tonight as well. And like we do every week, guys, I like to end the show with a little Today in Sports History. So on October 10th, 1979, Wayne Gretzky, the greatest hockey player of all time, scored his first NHL goal playing for the Edmonton Oilers against the Vancouver Canucks. So today, 1979, Wayne Gretzky scored his first of many NHL goals. Guys, be sure to hit that like button, that subscribe button, and hopefully I'll see you all tonight at 630 right here for the Legal Hands of the Face show. As always, go Birds and go Phillies.
0: Go to get your game on. Go for the beers.